Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Well, good morning. We're having a great morning this great morning so far. It's uh, fantastic to see our baptisms and having people just taking that step of uh, declaring their faith outwardly as an act of devotion and everything that we do here uh, is an act of devotion, not just because that's what the sermon's called and it ties in well, but uh, because that's what it is. That's what we're here to do. We're here to be devoted to God. And you know what I love about uh, our church and our worship times is this sense of just imminence, this sense of the presence of God. And, you know, all of us are very busy people, I'm sure. Um, But there's a sense that when we come in here, we can just take a moment and just breathe and just connect with being in the present, with uh, what's going on. And that's a really wonderful thing. We're looking today, uh, we're continuing our series on radical heart, radical being that root, uh, that Uh, first root that hits into the soil and takes the nutrients, Um, not a misspelling, but just from the Latin, which I appreciate, so thank you, Pat. (laughs) So at the core of being devoted is is this desire, this um, longing for proximity to God, being close, and so we're going to have a look at um, basically just this one principle, and we're going to unpack it today. We're not going to go for too long, but uh, this principle um, is on the screen just now. There we go. Uh, True devotion requires us to abandon our own terms of seeking God in favor of His. So I just want you to dwell on that for a moment, and we're going to be dwelling on that as we go through. True devotion requires us to abandon our own terms of seeking God in favour of His. I had one of these moments a few weekends ago, one of these full circle moments, you know, where just a a part of your life seems to have come around and just there's some element of completion to it. I was uh, at a school camp. We were at one of the QCCC sites on the Sunshine Coast. And the last time that I had been there was 12 years prior as a, uh, as a high school student on a, my f- very first ever Scripture Union camp. And the significance, I mean, I, I remembered that, I knew that, but the significance only really hit me once I got there because on that camp I had had, uh, you know, what was probably the major turning point in my life at that point. And uh, it was only as I was standing in one of the meeting halls that I just, I just saw a spot on the floor and it just suddenly hit me and went, oh, hang on a minute, like, that was the spot 12 years ago where God changed my life and where um, I turned to Him in a, in a more full way. And there I was 12 years later, um, you know, still serving, still following. And then the next night, um, I had the privilege of being able to preach to the camp that was there. I go to a Christian school, so that's a wonderful privilege that we have. Um, and I got to encourage them and see some of them have their own turning points with God. And it was, yeah, just this amazing moment of me realizing like how good God is. How good is God's grace and his plan is just so perfect. But I reflected on that part of my life and um, what I was doing with my faith at that time and I had this one thought that drove me, that really compelled and motivated me. 
and that was, what would it look like for a young person to give their life wholly to God, to be totally devoted to God? And I knew, of course, that living in this sinful world was still drawn to those temptations. And while we are being perfected by Christ, and we will be perfect with him, and we are declared perfect by Christ, none of us is necessarily going to get there in this life. Right? We're all making progress towards that day when God will uh, declare us perfect and make us instantly with Jesus. So knowing that, the thought was nonetheless still valid. What would it look like for someone to give their life wholly to God? What could God do with that life? What could God achieve? And there was a little bit of you know, youthful um, optimism in that, because as you get older, and I'm sure that all of you here can relate, um, we can see how worthy that, that call, that idea is, but very few of us actually feel worthy of that pursuit. As you get older and you have you know, family and kids and, and job, things are just a lot more difficult, and uh, you tend to realize a bit more about yourself too. We sort of echo the words of, of Paul that you know, as he starts off in his letters in the early ones, uh, he says, you know, Paul, an apostle through Christ Jesus. And then um, subsequent letters, uh, he says, you know, I'm actually the least of the apostles, like the least worthy deserving to be an apostle. And then in Romans, uh, we, we, if we're going in chronological more or less order, in, in Romans, he says, you know, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Until finally in Timothy, he says, you know, I'm, I'm the chief of all sinners. Right? And there's just something about uh, the longer walk with God, you just sort of realize just, you know, how unworthy we are, and yet God's grace is still with you. And while that might be the case, I still believe in the power of that idea. What would it look like if someone was to wholly give their life to God? So the question for us this morning is, how can we get that motivation or that drive, that uh, source to move forward and to pursue this worthy calling of being devoted. And I, I was driving in my car on, on the way to work, and I was trying to think, you know, what word is best going to capture that idea? Because it's more than just motivation, isn't it? Well, we understand that this is a spiritual goal, and it's more than just, you know, waking up in the morning and going, all right, I'm really motivated to go and do this. It's more than just a drive or a, or a stirring. What is this idea? Right? It's, it's also like the source and the, and the nourishment that pushes us in that direction. And then just suddenly it clicked that, hang on, that's actually the radical root. That's that root that sticks into the soil, that gets us connection with the nutrients, that pushes us forward. It is our motivation. It is our drive. It is also the strength and the power by which we pursue that calling. And thanks be to God that it's not our own doing. Right? It's not up to us but it's about having that faith that opens up that passageway. And so we want to look this morning at how can we get that radical root thriving. So in order to uh, have a look, we're going to see how some of the early church did it. In Acts chapter 2, we have the birth of the church. Right? Jesus has died, he's come back from the dead, he's appeared to the disciples and then he's gone to be on high and he said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit which is coming and they're in the upper room and they're praying, they're waiting and then suddenly tongues of fire 
come upon them and they all just are filled with this motivation, with this drive, with this unerring passion, this stirring to go out into the streets and proclaim the good news of God. And as they do that, they find that they're speaking in the languages of people who are present without knowing those languages at all. And so God has his own way of those people getting to hear the good news miraculously at that point. And Peter gives the very first Christian sermon. And the people there, it says that they were cut to the heart. Peter says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him Lord of all. And it's only through him that we can experience salvation and forgiveness of sins. And the people there, are, it says that they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, what shall we do? What can we do? And it's that position of faith. That is a position of devotion. Maybe a disposition. That's a better. A a devoted disposition is when you can come to God and say, what would you have me do? I do a lot of uh, camp ministry, run um, an organization uh, which does camps for youth uh, all throughout the year because you know I had my life changed on an SU camp and ever since then I've just been addicted to going on and um, they're really fantastic. So as a quick plug, send your kids on SU camps, they're awesome. Um, but one of the things that we have to deal with in that space is that kids come and they have this peak experience where suddenly you know they, they feel like, oh I'm so on fire for God, I've just really connected with him. And so they go back and they're really stirred to, to serve him. But then as a coal is removed from a, uh, a fire, so that the heat seems to dissipate and they lose that burning ember that they had when they were on camp. And so they come back six months, 12 months later with a sense of disappointment, a sense of I wasn't good enough to keep up to the commitment that I made to God. And so they have to chase that peak experience and they want it over and over. And so their life is just this roller coaster of going between, I need to get to that peak experience because that will carry me through. But then there are some who manage to get it, who manage to find it, and who end up being Christians of steadfastness and stability and faithfulness. And they're the ones who realize that it's actually not about the peak experience. And it's not about the things that happen at the peak experience. It's about the God behind those things. And in Acts chapter 2, those people turned to God in a way that you know, no one had before. They were totally devoted, and we'll have a look at the verse later, which says that they devoted themselves to God and, and the things that God wanted them to do. But they realized that, yes, they'd had a close encounter with God and His miraculous work, but it was actually the God behind that work that is the source all right, and, and for us to maintain motivation in this, in this pursuit of this calling, we need to keep our eyes off the, the bread, more or less. Jesus, Jesus says this in his miracle when he feeds the, the 5,000 on, on multiple occasions. Well, 5,000, 4,000, I think those are the numbers. Whatever, he does it twice or three. Uh, does he do it three times? He, do, he does it, right? He feeds them miraculously. They get food. And then the next time is like, you still not get it about the bread, It's not about the bread. It's not about being fed. It's about the provider. It's about the God who has performed that miracle. 
And so for us to keep this radical root open and pumping and full of that source, that motivation, it's about not relying on those experiences, but staying close to the God who is behind those experiences. Because it's not that God is with us more in the mountains than he is in the valleys. Right? In the mountains, we have those experiences and that evidences, those evidences. And the further we get away from those, we think, you know, it was only 10 years ago that I saw something truly miraculous. And so your faith is kind of dragged down into that valley. But the God who performed that miracle is with you just the same in that valley. And it's about keeping that perspective and saying that, no, I'm, I'm going to stick close to him. And the Bible knows that we tend to go in that direction. God knows, and so he puts in the Bible a few reminders that, hey, it's not about that. He says in Psalm chapter 2, you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not good enough that you simply know, but you need to taste and see. Jesus himself also encourages them. He says that you need to have faith like that of a child to really see the kingdom of God. And uh, also in Revelation uh, chapter 2, you've forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen, repent and do the things that you did at first. And if you've been a a Christian for more than five minutes is hyperbole, but um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that you get this sense of, I really just wish I had that burning passion that I did at the start when I first came to know Jesus. And Jesus himself reminds us that, hey, that's actually what you need to do. How do we do this? And, and, and what is it that is part of our you know, makeup as, as humans that tends to drag us away from this? Well, we return to this underlying principle that we're trying to unpack here today. And that is that true devotion requires us to abandon our own terms of seeking God in favor of his. The reason that we get to that point is because we come to God with a set of terms and conditions. These are my rules of engagement. This is how I'm going to relate to you. And uh, if it works out, great. And then we're surprised when God says, well, no, it's on my terms. And then we get in the slums of our faith and we're like, what's going on? And God's like, you're not listening. Some of the terms that we bring to God have to do with how we believe church should be run. You know, we, we think that we're only going to come and, and meet together on a Sunday and serve God if, if the sermon looks like this, if the seats um, are, you know, are a certain level of, of comfort, if um, the, the, the music sounds a certain way or if I have certain needs met, if, if the church has programs that I can go to during the week that meet this particular need or or their kids' church you know, is run this way. And my favorite uh, in our culture now is that the church has to have a cafe in the foyer. Um, ours does have all of those things, right? which, is, which is fantastic. But we're actually in a unique position here as a church that has started. Um, all of us here together is that the purpose is very clear in the form from the start. All of those things serve a purpose. Right, and our goal here as a church is to fill hearts and fill mission and for us to be able to connect together in meaningful connection and relationships and for us to experience the presence and the power of God in everything that we do. And the reason that our form, our programs look the way that they do is because the purpose is in them. Right? And the form only serves the purpose in the same way that the wineskin is simply there to hold the wine 
And yet we tend to get stuck as Christians on the form, right? Instead of being servants of the purpose, we get to be patriots of the form. And we say, you know, my church is great because they do things this way and they do things this way. But then the moment God wants to do something different, we struggle. And we go, well, what's, what's going on here? And I think our goal, part of staying devoted to God, is to make sure that we are always servants of the purpose and not patriots of the form, so that the moment the wind of the Holy Spirit starts to blow in a new direction, we go, okay, well, we're going there, and we can change. We can be, we can be adaptable, we can move around, because God is bringing a new wineskin. I had to learn this um, when uh, I you know, changed in my seasons of life. When I was studying, um, I had a lot of time on my hands. I was single. And so my devotion to God and my you know, ministry and whenever I preached, it was built upon hours and hours of preparation and research. And I used to just absolutely love you know, getting up in the morning and my devotions were, were you know, 45 minutes, an hour of prayer and, and of reading the scriptures. And I used to love sitting there with the Greek Bible and translating and really getting enriched by that. And eventually it got to the point where um, that form was what I relied on. And then there was this awkward middle period where God was trying to shift me away from that wineskin and go, that's not going to work for you anymore. And it you know, coincided with the time where I you know, had a family, got, uh, got married, had a family, had a job. Suddenly, I didn't actually have the time to put in the way that I thought. And I'm thinking, you know, what am I doing wrong here? Like, I need to give more time to God. And then God's going, actually, no, you need to love your wife. <laughs> need to be there for your family like that's that's important that's part of your devotion to me and so I had to realize that God was changing that wineskin and I had to learn to just be present and listening to God and there was this awkward middle period as I was saying where I was trying to put this new this old wineskin and, and the new wine just wasn't coming and there was it was void it was kind of powerless and I had to realize that no God wants me to do something different to just listen and then um I don't know whether I should share this, it's probably oversharing, but what, what happens these days is I, I spend a lot of time mulling over, whether it's driving in the car and I you know, try and write some things out, but it's usually not until a few days beforehand in the shower where God is like, this is what's going on. And it's, I mean, it's a new, new wineskin and it's, it's great, I'm enjoying it. But we have um, these certain things that we hold on to, we become... A patriots of the form instead of servants of the purpose. And as a church, we need to be in the position where we can go, if God is moving in this direction, then we serve the purpose and we're not holding on to the form. That's how we stay devoted to God. But you know, it works as an individual as well because we come to God with our own terms of engagement. We say, I'm only going to you know, be as devoted to you if you let me still have control of this aspect of my life. I, don't, I want to be the one who chooses the one that I marry or I don't want you to you know, come too far into my workplace because it's going to cost me if people see uh, that I'm a Christian and that I'm serious about my faith. Or you might have whatever you know, personal terms that you come to God, areas of your life that you don't let him into. But doing that is like taking that radical route and putting a straitjacket on it. One of those you know, Chinese finger traps that just restricts the flow. And you can't expect that God is going to bring all of that growth, all of that nutrients, nutrition, if we're refusing to engage 
on his terms. So that's part of what we're doing this morning is thinking over what are those, what are those terms for me and how can I give them over to God? So that's about abandoning our own terms, but what is it that we do in order to pursue God's terms? So we want to have a look at, uh, in Acts chapter 2, where the people say, you know, they were cut to the heart and said, brothers, what shall we do? And then in verse 42, after they've made that response, um, Peter says to them, you need to be uh, repent and be baptized. Um, and then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so the first one, if we look at them one by one, the apostles' teaching, that's the word of God. You know, God is a revealing God. God is one who chooses to show himself to his people, and he does that through his word, through messages, um, and things of that type. So if God's terms are that we need to come and be devoted to the word. Right? That doesn't mean that we hold the Bible above every aspect of our life, and our faith, but it means that we go to the Bible and we, we use it as a standard by which we measure what's going on around us. It means that we read the Bible, all right? As basic as that, right? God has chosen to put his revelation in there and we're doing ourselves a disservice if we're not digging in it. If you find yourself in any form of devotion that says that you need to go away from the word of God, then you found yourself in the wrong place and you need to come back to the word of God. Secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship, and that's this powerful Greek word, koinonia, that which we have in common, right? It's a gathering, it's the common. You know the word coin comes from that, koinonia, because it means common, right? It's something that's common everywhere you go. Everyone accepts the same currency. And so this idea of gathering is not just you know, us coming, to here, coming here together on Sunday or to our midweek meetings um, or our encounter nights or whatever it might be, but it's also the sense of sharing what we have in common, building meaningful relationships. And I love this because the more we find that we're devoted to God, the more we are devoted to each other, right? It's license for friendship, okay? You're not here to be isolated and on your own. You're here to be connected and to meet people who are going through the same experiences as you. And that's a powerful thing is, is that fellowship. You're not meant to do your faith, on your own. So that's one of God's terms. It's being devoted to fellowship. And then to the breaking of bread. And, uh, you know, does that mean communion? Or does that mean just eating? Because the, there's a lot of breaking of bread and it happens quite frequently. Sometimes it's to do with a Jewish um, festival or custom. But it's also an expression that they simply use to say, well, we're sharing a meal together. And then Jesus comes along and invests even more meaning in that at the Passover when he says that as you do this, as you break bread, you do so in remembrance of me. And so, yes, we are devoted to communion and the remembrance of Christ, but it's also our everyday activity which God has made sacred by us being a part of Jesus Christ. Right? As he has taken what is normal, breaking of bread, sharing food together, and he's made it something sacred, that we can do that and remember Jesus. Isn't, isn't that also great? Like God's told us to eat together. All right, Invite people to lunch to your house. Have food. 
It's excellent. Finally, God's term is, terms include that we are devoted to prayer. And Francis Chan says in his book, Letters to the Church, that unless your church is devoted, unless prayer is vital in your church, then your church isn't vital. And prayer is this communication with God, and yes, it's important for us to bring our needs to Him, and the Bible tells us that that's part of what we do when we pray. But prayer is just as much about us coming into line with God as it is about trying to you know, wrestle God into line with us. Who are we? <laughs> Even Jesus, when He's in the garden in Gethsemane, when He prays, He's pleading with God, take this cup from me. But... Not my will be done, but yours. And prayer is just as much about aligning yourself with, with God as it is about um, bringing your needs and your requests to him. And I, I remember a few weeks ago as we were having our worship service here, there was just a, a movement of the Spirit going on where we were all felt compelled to just intercede on behalf of our country and the bushfires and, and things that were going on. And it was you know, only a couple of weeks later where the rain came and where that relief happened. All right? And not necessarily that it was our prayers specifically that did that, but I know that there were a lot of churches who were doing the same thing. All right? And that's because God, through his body here on earth, the church, is choosing to bring us into line with his, with his will. And what a wonderful privilege we have as a community here to come under that. And as we seek God in prayer to listen and go, God, what do you want to do? Because finally, we've got those four things in the, in the second verse there, but in the first verse, this is our idea here. They came to God with the attitude of, what do you want to do? It's not about me. It's not about what I want. I'm simply here for you, and I simply want to know what you want me to do. That is this disposition of devotion, abandoning our own terms of seeking God and asking what his are. We're going to finish up in the moment um, just to go over what, we'd, what we've been looking at. This radical root is our motivation, our source, our drive. And we want that to be open so that the flow of God's power can come through and that we can actually be devoted. Because I'm not good enough to be a good Christian. Not good enough to be a Christian in the first place, let alone a good one. We all need God to help us in that, in that way. And I want to also apply this challenge to, to us. So as the, as the band comes up now, we need to make sure that we are always servants of the purpose and not patriots of the form. And I want to challenge us with that same thought that challenged me uh, when I was 17, 18, but applying it to us here as a group. What would it look like if there was a church who was wholly devoted to God, who were able to just give themselves fully to his purpose and to not come with their own agenda and their own terms of what they want, but simply to say, God, what do you want from us? What do you want us to do here? What might God do in our midst if we were that kind of church? It's a powerful thought. 
I'd just like to ask if you'd, if you'd stand with us just as we're about to come into our worship here. And if you would um, close your eyes and pray along with me because, you know, I believe that we can be a church who gather here entirely for God's purpose, that we can be united in one heart and mind that seeks just to worship God, to follow His desires, and that as we stand together in unity and build each other up in love, that we will bear the fruit of obedience from willing hearts and see the transforming power of God take over the lives of people in our midst. And that as we connect with God through that devotion and we hear His whispers in leading us in praying, that we can worship and we can pray and breakthrough will come for those people as well. It's impressed upon my heart that that we can be a church that stands at the front of God's battle lines and the people who stood there were the worshippers and the banner wavers. Those who sang the victory of God before the battle called on His grace and who waved high the standard of the Lord of hosts, the flag above the battle, which says, We belong to heaven and no weapon formed against us will stand because we have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus and all we want is just more of God. And now as we come together to worship, let us unite together in this purpose, that Jesus is the name above every other name. We exist to bring Him praise, to surrender our own agendas and our own terms of engagement and to wholeheartedly ask for his direction for us as individuals and as a community here. What could God do with a church like that? We're not trying to be anyone else. We're simply wanting to be who you want us to be, God. What might you do here? as usual this is a time where we can respond to God if he's been tugging on your heart and we also you can respond collectively as a church here and there'll be um, prayer available if you if you need it um, around the sides I think from the prayer this morning there was a a word about um, right knee pain if anyone um, has that and that's that's you then you can come and receive healing for that and there was also um, migraines due to uh, some kind of trauma in the neck or head so if that's you then come Lord we just want to be devoted to you we abandon our own ideas our own terms of engagement because it's you who's done all the work it's you who has the power God, would you just swell that radical root? Would you just fill it? Give us that drive and that motivation. It's not a work. We don't perform in order for that to happen. But we just simply ask by faith. And we call upon your gracious name to pour that out on us here.